What are the answers to some of life's most important questions? Actually, you can't avoid answering these questions because you already do. It happens simply by how you have chosen to structure your priorities, spend your money, and use your time. Tune in as we interview pastors and leaders throughout the valley discussing the must-answer questions on The Form Show. Welcome to The Form Show. Mark Lucas here, Faith Talk 1360. What an amazing joy and privilege it is each and every week to have these conversations, conversations that truly do matter most. Today we're looking at something that really is near and dear to my heart. It's a question that we've all asked, a lot of times possibly even looking in the mirror. It's a question around identity and how we form identity. Really some of the the damage and the crisis that we have in our identity that's been fractured throughout our life. And really we ask ourselves these deep, lofty questions like, who am I? This is the most important question that really I believe we can ask ourselves. This basic but foundational question has been asked for centuries. Simply put, our identity impacts who we are, what we believe, and how we live. While our culture, as we know today in the 21st century, is experiencing a crisis of identity, the God of our Scripture has already defined who you are, who I am, in Christ. As we embrace this new identity in Christ— We experience the truth that will set us free. Glad today you've joined us on the Forum Show because here on radio as you listen and here on podcast as you listen and we get to discuss today with an incredible guest, identity abuse on the Forum Show. A little bit about my guest. We've got Elaine Briefman. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist for the state of California. She's also, I love this, an ordained minister. She's practiced professional therapy for over 20 years while being a minister for 15 years. She currently hosts online events through Facebook, helping Christians from around the world to be freed from the emotional blocks that inhibit spiritual freedom. Her life verse, I just said it and I tied it into the end of what I said. I love this verse. John 8, 32 which beautifully reads this, the truth will set you free. Yes, it will indeed. Elaine, thanks so much for being my guest today on The Form Show. Thank you so much, Mark. I'm just so excited. And absolutely, the truth does set us free. And thank you for helping me spread this message to help people heal their identities. Of course. Really elated to have you on. And in this process of getting to know you, why don't we start a little bit with your background story, okay? Absolutely. So I tell the story often whenever I do speaking engagements, and it helps people just really understand why I do what I do. Um, and, and it really started when I was about eight years old. I was called into the living room by my mom, and I was raised in a house where you're only, you only speak when you're spoken to. And so I figured I was in trouble for something or I had a chore to do. So I walked down the hallway, and my mom was standing kind of in the door of the living room, And I could look past her and see my dad sitting on the couch behind the newspaper. And so my mom looked down at me and she said, your brother says that your dad's been touching you. Is this true? And I was stunned. And I'm like, "Uh, yeah. 
And she looks at my dad and she says, is this true? And he doesn't even look up from the newspaper. And he says, I don't know what she's talking about. So we have this conversation. And every time she looks at my dad, he never looks up from the newspaper. But one time he says, I don't recall what she's talking about. And I got really mad. I started yelling, which is something I had never done before. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't recall? What do you mean, you know, blah, blah, blah. And sadly, the conversation ended, which was really weird. Mm. And what I learned in that moment, because of my dad's lie, which is the most important part of this, my dad's lie, I learned that when I have the courage to speak up for myself, stand up for myself and be authentic, that it's not going to make a difference. I'm not going to be heard or believed, which also meant that I didn't matter. And so I grew up with this long history of just being who anybody else wanted me to be. And it ended up with a ton of mental health issues and um, you know, I ended up in therapy for like 13 years. And so I, I tell, I tell people, it shouldn't surprise you, you know, that I became a marriage and family therapist and a, and a pastor. Right. I'm just a high paid codependent, you know, yeah. other people they're, they're codependent, but I just get paid more to do it. So, um, you know, I did college for 11 years and then, um, professional therapy for 20 years and became a pastor in the midst of all of that. But what I realized is that my clients would still get stuck. And, and I was kind of frustrated as a professional, you know, that people genuinely wanted help, but they would get stuck. So whether they were coming to me for spiritual issues or emotional issues, they would come to this place and get stuck. And I was literally sitting on my couch one day at home and I wasn't necessarily praying, but I was just thinking about this and I was asking why. And I heard these two words and those two words are identity abuse. And I ask all of my listeners to say that out loud, identity abuse, and write that down somewhere. Because those two words have profoundly changed um, the people that I work with, as well as uh, my coworkers and anybody that I meet along the road. And I ask, but I ask myself, what does that mean? Because I'd heard of physical abuse, I'd heard of sexual abuse, but I would have never put those two particular words together because they were too ethereal. And, and so I spent three days with just me and God asking, and if my identity abuse my identity was abused, the identity that God gave me, what, what would that do to me? And what I learned was that my identity was abused before I was aware I had an identity. So I lived with that lie and fought against that lie all of my life. And I went back to work. I was so excited. I was telling all of my coworkers, I worked at this really large church, all the staff members. And I'm like, look at what God showed me. Look at that. And I'm writing it on the whiteboard and just being all <laughs> freaky about it. But afterwards, some of my coworkers came to me and one even texted me and said, thank you for sharing about identity abuse because it freed me from these lies that were inhibiting my ministry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I went to my clients and I'm like telling them my clients and I had one in particular who was a narcissist and he was like my test subject. And I was so excited thinking, you know, what if it works for him? Right. Because in the, in the um, clinical world, they say narcissists can't be healed. And so I sat with him and I was trying to be like my normal therapist self, you know, and, and um, being polite. And then I said, did you have something in particular to talk about? Cause I got something I really want to talk to you about. <laughs> and, um, and I, and I asked him just some basic questions and I said, you know, you don't have to believe that anymore. And he was like dynamically changed. And he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah. And, and it, and it, and it proved to me that this concept that God revealed to me healed people that the clinical world said couldn't be healed. So I took all of my education and all of my experience and crammed it into a course called Identity Abuse Busters and put it online, did a small group, you know, and, and just started focusing everything on this because it was so powerful. And, and, um, and so, yeah, so I did identityabuse.com is where you can find it if you're interested. But um, mm-hmm. the three overarching themes are you are uniquely made. You are eternally and uniquely valuable to God. The second is the enemy is going to lie to you every moment of every day. 
Enemy's a liar constantly, and you can learn how to detect that. And the third is you can choose to believe truth, even when it doesn't feel true. And this is where I spend the most of my time because we have a big problem, really, with especially Christendom. I know I'm supposed to believe this, but I can't because it doesn't feel true. And teaching people the difference between facts and feelings and how to learn to believe things that don't feel true. And so about 13 years later, the police came knocking at my door again, and I was able to have the courage. And that was only the first time I've ever told anybody about what my dad did. And he did go to jail. So I'm proof. I am proof. And you can be too when you choose that the truth can set you free. And so that's why I talk about identity abuse anywhere I go. <laughs> I, you know what? We've had probably a few conversations over the course of the last month, and every time I've walked away, and I've just been so enlightened, I guess is the best word that I would use. Because, Elaine, at the end of the day, the reality is, is that, and you just said it there at the very end, and I want to make sure the listeners hear this. So often when we look in the mirror, there's certain parts of who God says we are as a son or daughter of the king, and it doesn't feel like it's truth. It is truth, but it doesn't feel like it's truth. And I love the words that you use to really describe some of these wounds that we've experienced throughout our life, some of this abuse in the way of our identity that's been hindered and fractured and damaged over the course of our life. And yet you really are walking and spending countless hours in a beautiful way to minister to people, to help them understand that even if it doesn't feel true, it is true. So I know you've got some talking points, but I'd love, maybe just for a few moments, help the listeners in that, because I think at the end of the day, even for myself and for people that I love in my family, there's moments where, like, I think about Ephesians 1 often, and that's kind of my go-to identity chapter. And I'm always asking myself and my kids, do you feel loved? Do you feel forgiven? Do you feel that you really are an adopted child of God? And there's moments with the love piece or the forgiven piece where, honestly, I don't feel like I can forgive myself or I don't feel really lovable. So how do you walk people through that right now, the beautiful listening audience of Faith Talk, to be able to kind of navigate those waters? That, that's a really great question. And I know like with, when, I, when I just thought about doing this recording, thinking about um, this opportunity to share with the listeners about um, this topic, the most common thing I've heard from people is I can't believe it. I know I'm supposed to, but I can't. Mm -hmm. And and so really breaking down the, the the points of where that information came from, what's happening, what are, what is it that you genuinely feel when that person says, when that person says, wow, you're beautiful. And you're like, ah, oh, and you want to go down this long list of why you're not, or you're loved by God. And you want to go down this long list of why, where did those messages come from? So really looking at where did the messages originate? Who told them to you? And then asking yourself, who would you rather believe? Hmm. Would you rather believe, like I had this one client who was in junior high, who got ridiculed for what he wore because he was poor. And he grew up to be this very meticulously dressed man. And sitting in my office and I asked him, who would you rather believe? The seventh grade bullies who you will never see again, or the God of the universe who loves you deeply, regardless of what you're wearing. And coming to those points of deciding Whose message do you want to believe? And where did that message come from? And that's probably the simplest way that I can um, break that down. 
Yeah, no, that's really well said. I know you have here in your notes, and I think it's exactly what you just said, just to reiterate probably your insightful thoughts. When you wrote this down, when outside messages, situations impact what we believe about ourselves, I think that there's this kind of weighing back and forth of realizing, am I listening to the critics? Am I listening to uh, friends and culture and people on social media, their feedback, their comments, what they're saying about me? Or am I really taking the weight and the stock and the deep intrinsic value of knowing what God says about me and who I am and who I belong to and really understanding those important truths in Scripture, important truths in God's Word um, really have helped me lessen my swaying to kind of lean into what do my friends say about me? Who do they say I am? What do my coworkers say about me? Who do they say I am? And that really holds a lot of stock, unfortunately, a lot of seasons of my life. But the more that I go back to and root myself and ground myself in, okay, God says I'm loved. I'm loved. Even if I don't feel loved right now, I'm loved. God says I'm forgiven. Even if I've hurt somebody today, I know that God can forgive me and I can ask for forgiveness for the person that I've hurt or the person that's hurt me. And I can kind of walk through these truths and these precepts and promises of Scripture and say, okay, this is who I am. God, help me because I need your help. Help me let these truths sink deep into my soul to be able to understand more of my identity and have more clarity in that. And then you go on to say that there's different real types of identity abuse. You want to walk the listeners through some of those different types? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, there are, there are three basic types and the way I break it down is abuse. So my identity gets abused, which is just direct messages. Somebody boldly looking you in the face and telling you a lie, which is you're never going to amount to anything or you're stupid or you're unlovable. I mean, so very direct messages. And then there's um, assault, which is where you're like, so people who go through a traumatic event, um, their identity gets assaulted. So these are people who've gone through like rape or war or something like that, where, or it doesn't necessarily have to be that violent, but something that's a really traumatic event where the message that you're getting out of that is, is um, you're a bad person um, or you're inadequate or you're helpless. Um, and then there's abandon or neglect. So this is where children who grow up with an absent parent, um, or you're, you're like really, it, typically it's parent, it's about parents. They're trying really hard to please their parents. You, they have an abandoned parent or one that's even there who ignores them. Who's like either like in, into their job or a drug addict or um, go from, a, you know, partner to partner. And, and they don't give you the attention that you need as a child because children genuinely need attention. So they're neglected. Their identity doesn't form because healthily because it's not, um, fed at, at an appropriate time. So they spend the rest of their life searching for that um, attention. And then the last one is kind of tricky. It's perceived. So these are assumptions. So sometimes middle children will have that. You know, I'm not as, as valuable as the youngest child um, or the oldest child. I'm not as fun as the youngest child or stepchildren. Um, and it's, so even though the love might be there, um, they might perceive it to be um, other than what it really is. And so, again, there's a million different scenarios in here, but but those are the basics. Yeah. No, thanks for breaking that down. That's really insightful. And then I asked myself, okay, there obviously must be some side effects 
of identity abuse and how it's displayed in our life. I know for me, there was a, a book that really had a profound impact in my life. And the book was Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. And inside of that book, there was a chapter called The Wound. And I remember reading this chapter and this chapter, I think it was even chapter six, which is amazing that I can even remember what I (laughs) ate for breakfast, let alone chapter six in a book. But I remember in this chapter, Elaine, it talked about every parent on some level has inflicted a wound upon their son or daughter. And specifically, it got into the wound and it broke it down, the wound that my dad inflicted upon me. And again, it wasn't intentional. It was probably nature nurture brought from his father. And he just kind of has been modeling this in the way that he parents. But I remember reading that chapter and kind of almost slamming the book down and thinking, my dad hasn't wounded me. My dad's been amazing. But as I really kind of dove a little bit deeper into my heart, I realized, okay, and my dad and I had a conversation about this. And now he's passed and is with the Lord. But during his life, we sat down when I was in my early 20s and I said, Dad, just so you know, because I don't want to do this to my son, I felt like every single sporting event, every single like performance-based activity that I was a part of, you would always say, you could have done this better. Why didn't you do this? And he would always find something to be able to improve. And at the end of it, I said, you're going to make me so performance-based, so driven in the way of performance that I'm never going to be happy with anything that I do. And I kind of laugh about it now, but it really helped me, and it realized that there were some massive side effects. And again, I'm just giving one small example. You're going to give many. Um, But it really helped me understand that there are side effects, and it was affecting my identity. And on some level, there was some abuse in kind of just the natural lack of encouragement or the natural lack of affirmation that I was needing from my dad. So I'll stop sharing, but for me, it was important for me to see the side effects from all of these different variations and different ways of identity abuse. So yeah, continue on, please. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's challenging to have to admit that and to look at the reality of, of what your parents did. And, and even in my book, I have a section talked about if your parents are to blame them, blame them. That doesn't mean that you just sit there and blame them because then you're responsible to heal. Right. But if we don't blame the, the person who gave us this, then we own it. And that's something that we really have to avoid doing. Um, and so there's several that I wrote here now. These are mostly from the clinical perspective. So again, as a therapist, it, I, when, when I first heard those two words, identity abuse, I sat and thought about the clinical ramifications of what identity abuse would do to people. And, and it, what it showed me is that about 85% of all emotionally based disorders can be explained by identity abuse. So if you get the big fat book of um, um, the, the manual, this diagnostic manual for all mental health disorders, you can explain a ton of those by this. And, and I was just dumbfounded by that. So, so some of the play, ways that it displays your life is depression. Now there's clinical depression, which means that physio, I mean, um, um, biological organic depression, where it's actually something in your body that's physically not working. But then there's this concept of I'm never going to make it and hopelessness. Mm-hmm. And that hopelessness, if it's based on a thought process rather than biology, then again, you can go back and say, where did that message come from? If my identity has been abused and I have this nonstop thought of hopelessness, then it, 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 it will continue in life in a wide variety of places the way it plays out. 
Um, right. And I can give examples for all of these, but I know I know I want to get kind of get through the list. Yeah, let's do it. Um, anxiety. So it, with anxiety, it's like I am. Um, what more can I do? What more can I do? I should do more. I should be more. Um, or what what's going to happen next? So there's this fear, and so some of that's based on you know if you've had a trauma event, and so then you've learned that I am I attract um, danger or I attract things that I should be afraid of. Mm. Um, and some of these aren't conscious thoughts either. Okay. They're, it's just, it's just this lifestyle that you're going to select. I said for myself at eight years old, I realized I adopted this concept and I wasn't, it wasn't a conscious concept. Okay. Um, and then narcissists, most people don't understand this. Narcissists actually have the lowest self-esteem of anybody else. It you is, wouldn't think it that, is right? so chronically low. I'm yeah. sorry. I said, you wouldn't think that when you hear the word in the context of how most people use it, right? Absolutely, because they're very flamboyant and they're drawing attention to themselves. And, and but, but the problem is, is their self-esteem is so low, they have to do that in order to keep moving on in life. Mm. And, they, and, they, and they have to re be reminded constantly that they're okay and that they're good. And anytime that anybody says anything that even smells of, of a cut down, they will, they will come back and, and cut you down because it can't be true. They feel so bad that they can't tolerate feeling any worse. And so that it just explains a ton of stuff. It's insightful. Um, and then personality disorders is basically trying to be somebody that you're not. You're trying to prove yourself to somebody else. And and this would, was so profound because they say personality disorders are like, like a given and they can't be changed. And it's like, that's so not true. If you learn, wow, I'm doing this because I'm trying to prove myself to somebody else, or I'm so chronically afraid I have this behavior pattern, I'm going to you can learn to change it. So it becomes educational, a ton of education. And you have to choose to educate yourself over how you feel in all of these. And so the next one are anger issues. And typically that's reactive anger. And so it's, it, those come out of self-protection and people who are chronic liars um, or violent there, it's really based on self-protection and they have such a, a high need for self-protection that they do these reactive things. And so if their identity causes them to be afraid, they'll become, um, overtly angry and have trigger anger, you know, trigger, really trigger anger. I want to get phobias. back to the list, but real quick, cause I want to give a short plug. Uh, thanks for sending your book and I want you to let them know where they can get your book on Amazon. I'm sure the first chapter, I just read it yesterday was on anger. So give a quick plug to your book. I really appreciated already the book and that first chapter dealing with anger. So quick plug for your book and where to find it. So the book can be found, the ebook um, in English and Spanish can be found on Amazon, and the hard copy can be found on my website, identityabuse.com. Perfect. Yeah. All right, continue. Um, so phobias. So this is an inhibited lifestyle. And I, I remember talking about this in a Bible study one time about chronic shyness, that nobody is born with low self-esteem. You're not born shy. You received a message somewhere that shyness is the best, safest way to operate. And so really learning how to get past the social fears. Where did those messages come from? Again, it's really academic. So when you look at all the emotional reactions of these things and say, how do I learn what happened that caused these emotional reactions? And then the last one, which is the chronic self-doubt, which is where a lot of Christians struggle, um, is a disbelief. Like, I can't be healed. I can't. There's no way I can really be loved. I can't be forgiven. I've done too much. I mean, it's this chronic disbelief that even the scriptures can apply to you. And so those are um, the main ways that identity abuse show up um, in just the common public. 
This has been so insightful, and we don't have a ton of time left. Could you, in about a minute, answer this question? How can we truly be healed from the effects of identity abuse and how the truth can set us free? Go. To be able to look at um, the enemy, what he's telling you versus what is God is telling you, where does the message come from, and then choose to believe truth. And when it feels bad, ask yourself, where is that feeling? When is the first time I remember feeling that way? Where did that message come from? And who do I truly want to believe? And then decide that every day when you have that negative feeling to rebuke the enemy and ask God to help you to believe the truth. Like the man said, I I really do believe. Help me in my unbelief. Well said. Elaine, thank you so much for being my guest today on The Forum Show, a time that is committed to having the conversations that matter most. Always know that the truth will set us free. Until next time, have a great week. Take care.